Holiday House Books for Young Readers, Peachtree Publishing Company, and Pixel and Ink present Charles R. Smith Jr. and Adele Rodriguez, author and illustrator of Song for Jimmy, in conversation with publisher and editor Neil Porter. Hi, I am Neil Porter, and today we are excited to welcome Charles R. Smith, author of Song for Jimmy, the story of guitar legend Jimi Hendrix. Charles is an award-winning children's book author, photographer, and poet with over 30 books to his credit. His awards include a Coretta Scott King Award for illustration for his photographs accompanying the Langston Hughes poem, My People, and a Coretta Scott King Honor Award for his biography on Muhammad Ali, 12 Rounds to Glory. Welcome also to Adele Rodriguez, illustrator of Song for Jimmy. Adele received the gold medal from the Society of Illustrators and was the art director for Time Magazine for many years. Books he has illustrated include Mama Does the Mambo and Float Like a Butterfly. So we are here to celebrate a book and also the legacy of Jimi Hendrix, uh, someone who I think we all have a connection. If you're of a certain age, you definitely have a connection to Jimi. Um, I, before we began, I was talking about my own. I was 15 and was uh, hoping to go to a Hendrix concert in Philadelphia. I'm dating myself now, and a, and a broken arm prevented me from attending that concert, and I lost my shot. Um, but his music meant enormous amounts to me. I grew up in that era. I was 15 in 1969 um, and have been a fan ever since. Charles, you want to talk about uh, your connection to Jimmy? Sure. Um, I hate to date myself, but I wasn't even around yeah, <laughs> when you would have been going. I know it's going to end up. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to say it, but I just kind of laugh because I took myself back in time. But uh, but I got introduced to Jimi Hendrix when I was in college. Uh, I went to college in Santa Barbara at an all photography school. It was a small school of about 750, and I was the only black student. And you know, it was California, so it wasn't racially, uh, there was really no, you know, racist dealings that I had so much as it was just isolating, you know, as the only black student. And when I finally started making friends, we would bond over music. And this was, you know, the late 80s. And so we're, we're bonding over a lot of different kinds of music. And when somebody played some Jimi Hendrix, I recognized uh, his voice, but I didn't recognize the song um, because I only knew one or two songs. But uh, my friends that I knew, they knew a big chunk of his catalog and they really introduced it to me. And I kind of gravitated toward his music and his individuality in that moment, I think mostly because uh, here was this black guitarist, this black musician playing a music that wasn't associated with black people the way that he was playing it. And so here I am, the lone black student in an all white college, and I immediately connected with that individuality of where you're just doing what you're doing, but you look around and you're not seeing anybody that looks like you. And so that, you know, uh, encouraged me to delve deeper into his music. And the more that I listened to it, uh, the more I became more curious about him and his story. And remember, this is like I said, this is the late 80s. So there was no Google, you know, there was only libraries, microfiche, you know, uh, cassette tapes, uh, things like that. So if you wanted to find it, you couldn't find it at the tap of your fingers. You had to make a point of actually going out and getting the info from your local library or 
you know, any place that you, you got music. And thankfully, since he was a legend from the 60s, you know, there was a lot of imagery surrounding him. There was a lot of his music available. It just wasn't a ton about him. So as I got older, you know, I continued to maintain that interest in him. But, you know, I also gravitated towards other kinds of music. So, uh, you know, but he left that imprint as somebody, you know, when, when you're an artist, you have your mentors that leave imprints on you by the way that they create. And, and I'm sure Adele can speak to this, even though he's a visual artist. Uh, we pull from a lot of different artists, lots of different things. And from v- Jimmy, it was really his individuality, how he really wanted to make a point of not just sounding different, but looking different, uh, putting on a different kind of show, uh, innovating his instrument that others would uh, take off and go from there. Great. Adele, any teenage reminiscences? Uh, well, when I uh, arrived in the United States, I was about eight or nine. And um, in the beginning, I uh, I just got into, you know, uh, bands like Kiss and things like that, you know, because they were very visual and also into um, into rap, you know, it's like Run DMC, um, you know, the, the early kind of rap um, music that was happening at the time. And I didn't really get, get into, you know, a lot of rock and roll until I was in high school through heavy metal and things like that and hanging out with my heavy metal friends. <laughs> They're like, well, there's this guy. <laughs> Have you heard Jimi Hendrix? And then, um, then we would just uh, listen to tapes in the car, uh, cassettes, or, you know, make, make dupes of them and, and, and trade cassettes between one, you know, one another. And uh, I was just really attracted to to his music, the the way he um, his inventiveness, you know, with the, the way he, uh, in 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 a weird way, his music is is visual, you know. And, mm-hmm. and I was always, even though he's it, in and then when you finally saw pictures, I mean, the guy's like just amazing to look at. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of visual um, um, qualities that are is, you know surround uh, Jimi Hendrix and and uh, the way he 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 uses his guitar, his instruments like a painter. He's very um, innovative you know like yeah oh i'm gonna play it you know with my teeth i'm gonna play it behind my head so it was all these added things that when you were looked at a regular rock band they were just starting you know they were up on stage just and you look at Jimi hendrix and it's a whole thing it's a whole other uh world you know i grew up around a lot of um black cubans in in my block you know i was like probably like one or two of the only white people on the block so I grew up in 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 in, uh, in with Roomba, and um, we would have conga down the street and things like that. So that he 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 exudes that kind of vibrancy of black culture, which uh, attracted me to his music. And then I took all these tapes and cassettes to college, and would work and paint, you know, while I listened to them and things like that. Cool. So let's um, let's scroll back to. Um Way back, not quite as far back as 1969, but though sometimes it feels like it, but this book had an unusually large, long gestation uh, for complicated reasons that we won't go into in great detail. But anyway, way back about 12 years ago, uh, Charles had the idea to do this book. And you, can you tell us a little bit how you came to write this book? Yeah, uh, it was a fun story because... Um, I'd gotten an award for my bio- my biography on Muhammad Ali in Cleveland. And uh, the, the host took the winners, all of the winners, to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. 
And, you know, when we when you get other like minded individuals around, particularly in this case, other authors and writers who had written biographies, we would talk about different people that we might be working on in the future or who we were currently working on. And so on the way to the museum, I remember uh, mentioning that I was really excited to see Jimmy's um, display uh, because he's one of my favorite musicians that would be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And so when I got there and I got to his section, most of the everybody else, it was like a piece here, a piece there, one thing here, one thing there. But Jimmy actually had his whole whole display. And what stood out was not the guitars or the clothes or the feathers or, you know, things like that. It was his uh, these crayon drawings that he had done when he was a child and instantly I connected with him as a child, um, not thinking like a child, but just, you know, when we think of these these great iconic musicians, we only think of them as finished products. We don't think of them as a kid, or if we did think of them as a kid, maybe we saw a picture or something. But particularly in the case of Jimmy, because his uh, death was so tragic, we just think of him as an adult. And we only think of him doing the things that he did on stage. We don't think of how he got to be where he is. Mm -hmm. And so seeing those pictures that he had done as a child, uh, it reminded me, oh, yeah, he was he was a kid just like anybody else. (laughs) And he had dreams and he was pretty talented uh, with his crayon drawings. And um, so where I the wheels started turning and I said, how did he go from that kid, you know, making these drawings to this adult who's destroying his guitar, changing the way rock and roll music is, is made. Uh, How do we get there? And so that started the wheels rolling. And as I was talking to my fellow authors, as I was there, we spoke about how I would do it. Cause I actually kind of came up with the idea on the spot that I want to do this book on him. Um, And the first question that an author always has to determine when doing a biography is where does it end? Meaning not just the book, but where do you end it in their life? You know, and in my Muhammad Ali book, I ended it at the 96 Olympics when he lit the Olympic cauldron, a very, you know, heroic uh, visual moment. And in this case, I wanted to end it right when he becomes a star because it was literally a moment when he became a star. There wasn't a slow burn. It was a moment because he left our country, the United States, became a star in England. And in, nobody knew who he was in the United States until he came back and performed at the Monterey Pop Festival. And so that made a perfect ending for him because to me, it was like, yes, that's the ending of the book, but this is the beginning of the legend of Jimmy. And so watching the video of him doing that performance, that also gave me a lot to work with because it was literally a perfect ending because instead of his death, you're focused on the moment that, you know, he basically touched into the world to become mm-hmm. an icon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I remember when you, when you first um, um, broached the notion of doing this picture book biography, I thought that to use a really bad pun, it struck a chord um, <laughs> because of my uh, fondness for his music. Yeah. And I thought, this is really interesting. It's really kind of meaty and, and very much up my alley because I love doing uh, books, unexpected books on unexpected mm-hmm. people. And there was very little available mm-hmm. on Hendrix at the time. 
Um, and shortly <clears throat> after we decided to do the book, of course, there was another book that um, Gary Gellier wrote called Young J- Jimmy, uh, illustrated by Chewbacca Steptoe. But that, as you say, dealt with a very specific period in his life. Yeah. And this is the only book I'm aware of that covers his entire arc, the entire arc of his life. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there are all these these issues that one has to deal with, as you say, with doing a picture book biography. Where do I start? Where do I end? How how do I find the rhythm um, that best uh, fits the story I'm telling? Mm-hmm. Um Talk a little about about that and structure. Uh, well, the, the, the structure was actually pretty easy, believe it or not, because I knew I wanted to make it a song. Um, that's why I called it Song for Jimmy, because I wanted to make it a song. And so then in that regard, you know, I mean, I'm, a, I'm an author of children's books, but, you know, ultimately I'm a writer of a variety of different kinds of things. You know, short stories, poems, novels, operas, you know, I've written you name it, I've probably written it in that form. And so I just basically started doing a little more research on the form of uh, songwriting. And and then I'll just listen to songs. Okay, here's the intro, here's the chorus, verse one, verse two, here's a bridge, here's an outro, here's an interlude. So I started learning those parts. And then as I started researching his life, I tied different types of music that he learned with different stages of his life. So obviously the beginning, his childhood is pretty uh, depressing. So it's the blues and that's the root of his music. Um, And since it's the root of his music, it moves at a certain pace that you would expect the blues song to move to. Uh, It uses the vernacular that you would use in blues Uh, some call and response, some repetition, things like that. Uh, And then as we progress in the verses and he, as he progresses in his uh, knowledge of learning, not just uh, to play the guitar, but of music, then the song structure changes a little bit too. The pace freak, uh, the pace picks up a little bit more as we go later on as he's learning uh, rock and roll and other kinds of music. Um, we come back to a little more slang vernacular when he gets uh, to New York City, you know, Harlem in particular, uh, that he picked up from traveling all of these different places, as well as playing lots of soul music as a sideman. Um, and then we get to the interlude toward the end, which is basically kind of the actual song that I make for him because you could actually sing it. Um, and so I would then take different pieces of his music and let that guide my rhythm. And so one of the songs that I mentioned that I used the rhythm from is uh, Crosstown Traffic. Um, it's one of his most popular songs and it has a very, ca- it's, it's popular because it has a very catchy beat. It's very easy to listen to, uh, you know, where some of, some of his songs can go on forever. <laughs> some of them is all about right. his, you know, that only a guitarist can appreciate some songs only a songwriter can appreciate. You know, he goes both ends of the spectrum, but he has plenty of songs like Crosstown Traffic that are just great to listen to. And so I took that rhythm along with a few other ones here and there, took some of his song titles, took some of his lyrics here and there, and was sprinkled them throughout to capture the energy of, you know, the, the part of the story that I'm trying to tell, but also using his own words that he's written 
to, you know, demonstrate certain and, and illustrate certain instances, provide fodder for the illustrator to uh, create some illustrations that tapped into those words. So when I got the manuscript, uh, I, I was floored by a number of things. Floored because I loved it. Floored because I'd never gotten a picture book manuscript that was divided into, into sections like that. Uh, I'd, never, I'd never seen a book with an intro and an outro. Um, and floored because it was really, really long. Um, <laughs> and uh, our listeners may know that the traditional uh, picture book length is 32 pages. There are variances. Sometimes they go to 40, uh, sometimes 24. And this was going to have to be a much longer book. And the original impulse was, what can we cut? What can we cut? And I kept looking at it and thinking, there's nothing I really want to cut because the the power of the book was in the cumulative wordplay and rhythm. And if you attempted to um, to chop pieces of that out, you'd let, be left with, with something that didn't really function satisfactorily, both narratively or in terms of rhythm and, and, and readability. And so we ended up making essentially a 64-page book. I, I don't know that you would call it a picture book. I guess you could because it's a book with pictures in it. <laughs> but the word that comes to mind when I think about this book is epic um, because his life was epic. It was brief, but it was epic. Um, this book is epic and it has some pretty epic artwork to go along with that. So um, I knew when I saw the manuscript that this wasn't a book that I was going to give to an artist that does really good bunnies. Um, <laughs> and I, I love, you know, going sometimes outside the sort of boundaries of the children's book world and, uh, and working with artists who dabble in other fields. And, and, and Adele's not a dabbler. He was the art director at Time Magazine for years. But I had long been a fan of his graphics and his poster art and the images. This is, I think, when we started this book, it was pre-social media, but I was so aware of what he was doing. And I thought he would be such an interesting choice to illustrate the book. And, uh, and we kind of made that happen all that time ago. And so over to Adele, how did you, how did you break the book down? How did you come to the images? How did you come up with the palette? Well, um, you know, when I, when I first uh, heard about the book and I, and I, uh, I got the manuscript, I was like, yeah, I got the Jimi Hendrix book. And then immediately afterwards, like, oh no, I got the <laughs> Jimi <laughs> Hendrix book. <laughs> That's the problem. <laughs> For, um, you know, it's just, it's a lot of weight. You're just like, oh my God, like, what am I going to do with this thing? It's Jimi Hendrix. It's Jimi Hendrix. It's, you know, so that kind of stuff like gets, uh, because it's one of your idols that you love so much and you're like, I got to do a really good job with this. So actually part of the delay was in me going, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? And, um, you know, I, I took time uh, sketching it. At the time, I was doing some a lot of, you know, I, I often look to my personal work because I'm always painting and, you know, messing around in the studio, creating new things. And I was doing um, some bright watercolors at the time, and I tried that, but that didn't quite um, uh, sink in. And then I, I read the, um, the, the book again, and I decided what I wanted to do was follow um, the um, Charles text, which was... Um, it starts off very, you know, kind of quiet, you know, uh, and slowly 
builds and builds and builds, adds more textures, more colors, more intensity. So if you look at the book, it starts off, you know, kind of like with a, like a beige paper color, maybe just a blue and a red and very simple textures. And then it progressively, then it goes into like the jungle scenes when he's in Vietnam, it gets more, the color gets more and more intense. And then by the end, in like the last four or five pages are all the colors, <laughs> just everything uh, thrown in there. Um, and that's how I, you know, you, 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 maybe the viewer doesn't see it at first, uh, that sort of logic, but when you're, when you're trying to create something that's 60 something pages, you have to create a process or some sort of logic in your head. So you start kind of thinking how you would treat all of these things. And also, so you get variety, you know, you don't want from the, if, if from the very beginning, everything's just intense color, intense color by the, by the 15th page, you're like, all right, enough, you know? <laughs> So there, there's a little bit of balance that you have to do, and that's what uh, how I uh, organized it. And um, in terms of the, the the color work, it was it was also that in the beginning he was you know in his house in small town. Then it was the the blues area where he was, he was with his smaller bands. So it wasn't quite psychedelic yet. It, it's towards the end of the book where it gets into the psychedelia and that kind of thing. And I wanted those graphics, which are really exciting and attractive for any artist to work with. I wanted to bring some of that, but with my own sort of flavor and my own, you know, there are, there were things that are, that, as I said, that I work in my own, um, my own paintings. So like the flowers that what's what's on the cover, his Afro made of flowers. Mm. That was something that I was just painting in my studio, just sort of trying out at the time because I was interested in, in flowers and it's a very tropical kind of thing. So I wanted to bring, bring some of that tropical color and visuals into this into this book which went with the psychedelia and, and the 70s kind of graphics as well mm-hmm. so uh it was a, a mix of all of that but you know i wanted to be as inventive with the with the illustrations as as he is with his music you know that's that's always my, my was my goal throughout yeah well it's it, you know when i first started seeing some of the images it, it, it kind of in addition to searing my eyes because the colors are so intense it brought me back to that era yeah because i i grew up around psychedelic posters and that kind of acidy color uh and my mother much to my mother's horror i had my bedroom uh full of that stuff uh the walls were tacked up and and such yeah my my in my original idea I, that's why we have a, a square book i wanted to to create a square uh like an album like you're yeah. opening up an album that was the yeah. the original idea what sort of contained the whole thing was a square album and i remember we talked about in the beginning of um doing the jacket as a fold-out poster you know that you would yeah. put in, in, in a kid would put in your bedroom and all that and yeah. i think we did something like that for we did uh, we did. We if you it. get to see, if you ever get to see a copy of the book, you'll see the poster because, right. in yes. fact, there is a. Uh, uh, if you turn the jacket around, you have a fold-out poster of Jimmy on his guitar, <laughs> and it looks oh, amazing. That was the idea, and so I, we did it. All right, I'm waiting for it. <laughs> so that, the idea was the was to the idea was to like you're opening up a, a vinyl, and and some of those vinyls came with posters in it and and all that, and yeah, and that that yeah. that was the idea. Yeah. So you're welcomed and coming into his into his music uh, when you open up the book. That was the, the, the idea. And uh, as I said to folks when I was telling, talking the book up in-house, the poster is worthy of my bedroom wall as a, as a 15-year-old. <laughs> it really looks great. Awesome. Um, awesome. So, you know, it was a prodigious effort on, on both of your parts. There's also a significant amount 
uh, as with any good picture book biography of what we call back matter at the end of the book, uh, Charles, you did a really nice and, and kind of moving end note about your connection to Jimmy and, and the music and, and relate some of the stories you've just told us. There is a timeline, there's playlist, um, there's a lot. And, and Adele did a terrific job of making that back matter look as, as exciting as the main part of the book. Um, so it really is a, a beautiful package. So, um, you know, there are issues surrounding Jimmy that uh, we have to acknowledge. He had, a, he had a, a brilliant life, but a very short life. He died at 27. Yeah. People refer to the 27 Club because there are so many yeah. prominent musicians who died at the age of 27. Yeah. I remember I was in a car with my mom uh, when the news came over the radio um, that he had died. Um, and it, you know, it was a kind of stupefying moment for me and the death was drug related. And then you have the whole issue of how do you present this for unabook meant not for preschoolers, but for yeah. young people. Yeah. So Charles, do you want to talk about how you, how you frame that? Yeah. I mean, it was, again, I'll go back to why I decided to have the book end where I did because um, many of my research books, um, if it was a book like this thick, <laughs> super thick, more than half of it was devoted to his death. <laughs> you know, the right. first part up to a certain part would deal with him getting to the music part, you know, becoming famous and such. And then a lot dealt with the ramifications of his death, how he died, the circumstances, this and, this and that. And there was so much speculation and such that, uh, you know, I, I knew I wasn't going to broach that in terms of ending his story, but I knew that I did have to address it in the author's note. Mm -hmm. And the way that I address it is basically, you know, often when we think of Jimmy, we think of a couple words. We think wild druggy, you know, or somewhere that drug reference creeps in as one of the first couple of words and not musician, not innovator, not those things. So it wasn't a matter of trying to hide it. You know, it's just that literally every book talks so much about it that it's like, instead of talking about that part, let's focus on his life part. Because we, again, all, and I can point to all of my books that I have on research. Um, there's so much covering his death. And they give such short shrift to his life, how, you know, some people would easily chalk up his uh, his genius and his talent and his wild um, playing simply to drugs. They don't consider that here's a guy who learned how to play the guitar with both hands <laughs> when he was a teenager, learned a song every single day. And as he continued as an adult, just kept getting better every single moment of every single day. And that's a message that resonates with kids because they can literally see 
the steps that he took. Oh, well, he learned how to play guitar, play in a broom. Then he learned the song every day. Like when they see those steps, then you can understand how somebody can get to his level because it's just so easy for us to just write him off and say, oh, it's just drugs. That's why he played the way he did. You know, so that's why it was important for me to uh, acknowledge it in the end and kind of, you know, sort of defend him, (laughs) you know, because he's not here. And to defend him from people just saying, oh, well, what'd you do? Just do a bunch of LSD and then just plug in or, you know. I've never never heard that about Kurt Cobain, though. (laughs) or or jim morrison yeah Yeah. i mean and that's but and that's the thing and that's what i mean like a lot of these musicians that has the tragic endings we don't see what got them to that point you know we don't know you know i'd be curious to to learn about kurt cobain as a child up to when he you know did what he did uh with nirvana and and you know just some of these people that that were taken too soon. You know, it's kind of funny because in Greek mythology, uh, I forget which goddess it was, but she basically offers a hero either a long, dull life or a short electric life. And it's like, and, and they become, like you said, Neil, the 27 club, like that's the hallmark of that 27 club. They literally went screeching no breaks, you know, through life. Uh, you know, that was a path that they took. And so in talking about him at the end, in the author's note, I not only talk about, you know, how he is remembered, but also what that meant to me, you know, seeing uh, a Black artist, you know, like that, you know, because even though I'm a Black artist myself, um as I grew up, there were no other black kids doing what I was doing. <laughs> you know, when I would find myself with other photographers, there was nobody that looked like me. Uh, even with writing, you know, if I'm in honors English class uh, throughout high school, there were very few black students in with me. And so, you know, you're on this creative track, but yet you're not seeing people that look like you doing the creative things that you're doing. And so to see him, particularly when I got to the part where he's in Harlem, well, they figure, oh, well, he's a black guy with a guitar. So, of course, he's going to want to play soul music with the Isley Brothers, you know, this and that group. And then he starts playing his own thing. And they're like looking at him like, what is this? And so he's not fitting in. And so, you know, that part is what gravitated towards me. And that's why I mentioned that's why I did the book in the first place. And that's why I mentioned, you know, all of the things that I mentioned at the end in the author's note. It's really wonderful to hear you talk about this, and, and it, it kind of it takes me through all the all, all the effort that was made in the in the creation of the book. Um, I guess we're probably getting close to the end of our time. Um, Charles, do you want to read a little from the book for us to give people a taste of how it sounds? Yeah, I mean, um, the first thing, like this, is the first time I'm really uh, speaking about the book. I've done, you know. Adele and I have done the email interviews, replying and such, but this is the first interactive conversation. And so as I prep for school visits, you know, I try to figure out, well, which, you know, of my new books, what part of a bio am I going to read? What poem of this collection am I going to read? And so I'm not sure exactly which part of Jimmy I'm going to read just yet. And so I'll just start with you guys and what part resonated most with you or what lines or what verse, 
you know, uh, chapter in the book uh, stood out to you the most? Because I can, as I was saying at the beginning, I can read the whole thing and I can pick out, I can tell you a little something about every verse, every chapter, you know, I can go in depth. (laughs) So I think if you, you know, say which parts uh, connected to you, um, you know, then I can, you know, bring that part to life. Well, I'm just I'm flipping pages because I do have co- a copy of the book here. And you have that luxury. I got the PDF. I got yeah, to look yeah. at. I, I, went to, <laughs> I went to verse four. Peacock with a pick. It talks about Harlem. I think yeah. that's the one that I, that's the one that I've been leaning towards when he gets into Harlem because yeah. that's kind of the end of the beginning. It's kind of like he's like, all right, New York. I'm ready for you, <laughs> you know, so that's kind of where I'll uh, start. That's uh, verse four, Peacock with the pick. With blues in his heart, fire in his hand, and mud on his boots, Jimmy stood as a man, age 21, free as can be, a mannish boy in Harlem, NYC. But in Harlem, Jimmy was a curiosity, a wild-haired peacock bopping to his own beat. See, Jimmy hummed to himself, walking down the street, and with that guitar on his back, he was laughed at endlessly. But word got around that the peacock could play, and band leaders invited Jimmy to play for a little pay. Now Jimmy tried hard to play as he was told, but with one pick, vroom, out of control, loud, tweaking, twonking, roaring, Jimmy took off on a solo soaring, floating, flying like an eagle in the sky, spreading his wings beneath the yellow sun high, flying solo for oh so long, band leaders fired Jimmy on the spot, so long, and it wasn't long before Jimmy said so long to bands uptown. So he swooped downtown, down to the village to spread wide his wings and ears popped open when Jimmy did his thing. Playing that guitar on stage with his teeth, Jimmy amplified his arrival loud as can be. And once again, word soon got around that the peacock downtown was plucking a new sound, plucking an odd sound, plucking a rock folk rhythm and blues sound. But even though Jimmy's sound was the talk of downtown, sometimes Jimmy found himself sleeping on the ground. That's right, Jimmy found himself sleeping under the stars, flat broke, belly empty, just him and his guitar. But Jimmy kept working, working that left hand and began to write songs because he wanted his own band. So I'll stop right there. Wow. And, uh, <laughs> thanks. And I'll mention, I'll, I'll point out a couple of things. So, uh, and I'll have to actually do this when I get the book, but there's a number of his titles scattered throughout the uh, book. Mm-hmm. And one of the titles is Manish Boy. So um, that was a phrase that I got introduced to when uh, listening to him because it's one of his songs. And I was able to use it in a spot that fit perfectly. But, you know, so I was always, like I said, trying to incorporate his titles, his lyrics uh, throughout the, the work. One of the things I liked from reading the book, and you, you, you just did it right now, is this idea of there's a guy on a street corner telling the the story of Jimmy, you know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> casual and, you know, like very rhyming and, and just like spitting out rhymes and stuff like that. That's what was interesting to me when I first read the book. And it's great to hear now. You could almost see it as a theater piece. You could see it, you know, someone, <laughs> the, the truth teller kind of standing there telling you the story of Jimmy. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, well, that was the idea was a narrator who is literally like often, you know, when we read a novel, the narrator is kind of godlike. 
I wanted the narrator to have exactly that feel, you know, like um, there's a there's a movie, something about Mary. I don't know if you ever saw it. It's a silly, yeah, oh yeah. silly movie. And they have a couple of scenes where they use a musical interlude and they include like a guy who would be singing kind of this is what's happening. You know, so that actually it's funny that you would mention that, Adele, because that he kind of popped into my head on certain occasions, because when you're writing a biography, you're even though you're speaking to the reader, you're telling a story about somebody that's literally like right here, you know, so because it's like this is their life story. So I'm going to tell them your life story. So in the case of my Muhammad Ali book, I told it in the second person, which is a difficult uh, voice used the you. And I did that because one of the quotes that Ali had said is he says, I want people to know that I'm just a man, you know, warts and all. So I wanted it to be like, I'm sitting in front of Ali saying, this is you, this is you, you did this. And to make sure to me, I got it right. Right. That I'm, I'm, I'm so accurate in what I'm telling that I'm telling it right to you, even though this is what you live. So in this case, I'm putting myself again, side by side. So in his household, the blues is, you know, playing. I'm right there. You know, I'm the one, you know, strumming the guitar, you know, tapping on my thigh. You know, that's the visual that I have when I'm writing it that allows me to use that vernacular and come up with that rhythm. Great. Yeah, but it's great because it it makes it feel like it's very attached to the place where often when you read a a manuscript, it's someone telling a story from up here somewhere about something that happened. Exactly. Foreign to them, and you know, it's not as gripping. I think. Exactly. Exactly. So I think we're pretty much at the end of our time, uh, and we usually conclude these podcasts, which of course are called the guest book, by asking our guests to metaphorically sign that guest book and leave us with a thought that uh, they'd like us to take away from this uh, this podcast. So, Charles, uh, last thought. Uh, big thing that I would say about Jimmy that I want people to get out of reading his uh, this book and listening to his music is uh, the dedication that somebody has to their craft and the passion that somebody has to their craft can really take you places. And Song for Jimmy is a perfect example of that. That's great. Adele? Um in a similar way, it's, I, I want it to be a, a, a lesson to kids that if you really like something and you just stick to it, no matter what people tell you, no matter, and it happened with my own life and my career, uh, as many warnings came out you to do something else, if you like it enough, you stick to it, you stick to it, you stick to it, and you stick with something long enough, it just works out. Mm-hmm. It's been a very long journey on this book and a complicated one, but I am so thrilled with how it all turned out. This book is definitely worth waiting for. And I can't wait for the public to be introduced to it and for you guys to actually have a physical copy in your hands. And yeah, I hope you'll that. be as ecstatic <laughs> as I am. So thank you very much for joining us for the guest book uh, and uh, have a great day. Thank, thank you. you.